Earlier this summer, I traveled by airplane from El Paso, Texas, which is near Las Cruces, where I'm from, to Minnesota for my sister's wedding. I officiated the wedding. It was my first, and it was within Mass, and it was very beautiful. I accepted the vows of my sister and her new husband on behalf of the church and gave their marriage the blessing of the church. It was a joyful and glorious occasion to see the two become one in the sacrament of holy matrimony. But the flight there and back were different experiences than the joy of that wedding. I had connecting flights going there and back, and all the flights were delayed. And on the way back, my luggage had to go on a different flight, and so it got there late. So going there, I missed the rehearsal due to lateness, and coming back, I had to stay an extra night in El Paso, Texas, to pick up my luggage in the morning. I'm not saying all this to complain about the airline business. But honestly, I really wasn't upset. We can only control so much, and much, at times, can be out of our control. Peter is trying to control the messiahship of Jesus. After Peter recognizes that he is the Messiah, Jesus tells Peter and his disciples that being the Messiah means that he will be rejected and suffer and be killed by the authorities, but he will rise on the third day. Peter takes Jesus aside and rebukes him. Peter has seen that although Jesus is challenged by the authorities, large crowds are following him. Jesus, who works wonders, could unite these crowds and possibly be a warrior king. Peter needs to keep him alive so he can perhaps liberate Israel from the occupation of the Romans. But Jesus has expressed that he needs to be rejected by the elders and suffer and be killed in order to deliver us. Peter wants to have absolute control over the situation. Jesus responds to Peter in a severe way. He calls the man he has chosen to lead this inner circle, and in fact, as we know, will lead the church. He calls him Satan. The words spoken by Peter earlier could have been a temptation for Jesus. We read earlier in Mark's Gospel in chapter 1 that Jesus went out into the desert for 40 days to be, and he was tempted by the devil. And later on in Mark's Gospel in chapter 14, Jesus will experience the agony in the garden where he will, well, he, he will experience temptation and he will call out to his heavenly Father to have this cup taken away from him, the cup of suffering and rejection and death. Jesus can be tempted within his human nature. He can have interior conflict within his human nature that he has to discern. Peter's words tempt Jesus to bypass the rejection, the suffering, and 
the death that is to come. Perhaps he should become that warrior king to fight and deliver Israel from the Romans and establish an earthly kingdom free of enemies and pagan influence. This would be, well, the continuation of King David, what they wanted. And to rid rid the nation of all the impurities forever would be heaven on earth for the Israelites. After all, the Romans did attack and oppress them. This could be justified. Or perhaps Jesus had fear. Maybe that was the temptation. Maybe he could just step away from this Messiahship. Yet Christ has proclaimed that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring glad tidings to the poor. Peter recognizes and affirms that Jesus is the anointed one. This is wisdom that has come from the Heavenly Father. And Jesus, who has grown in wisdom, who understands the song of the suffering servant we heard proclaimed in Isaiah, knows that the Messiah must suffer. He could have been tempted by Peter's words, wanting a warrior king or another temptation. But in this, he turns over control to his heavenly Father. In doing so, he is empowered and proclaims what the Messiah's mission truly is. And I will rise in three days. The mission went right over Peter's head. Peter heard Jesus say he was going to be rejected and suffer and die. But the fourth proclamation, he didn't hear. Now I know we're talking, I'm talking a lot about Peter, but I also see Peter as a hero throughout the scriptures, and he's, and we are like Peter, right? We make some of these mistakes and conclusions, but in the end, Peter's faith is strong. So the Christ must be a suffering servant and die for the sins of humankind, but he will rise on the third day. Christ is a warrior. But he wars against the principalities and powers that have brought death into the world. Christ, in his dying and rising, is victorious. So we have heard this interplay in the scriptures about control and wanting to control and relinquishing control and giving control over. In the verses to follow this first prediction of the passion that I have talked about in the gospel, Jesus makes it clear that the road he was traveling is the same road we must follow if we are going to be his disciples. He tells us, whoever wishes to come after me must take up his cross, deny himself, and follow me. Jesus is talking to us about more than self-denial. And we know that there are times in our lives when we accept weakness, disgrace, suffering, and death in the name of Jesus. We look for meaning in the cross of Christ, and there is redemptive suffering through uniting ourselves with his cross, uniting our pain with his. And all these things that happen in our lives 
are not simply brushed away by a Bible verse. I get that. There are real crosses we bear and true suffering. However small, it still matters to us. We can bring them to the light, meaning to Christ and to others. And we can help one another bear others' crosses and find relief. We do not have to go it alone. Yet I also think there is something else here in this passage to help us to understand what it is to bear the cross as a disciple of Christ. We can abandon our attempts to retain total control over our lives. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. In trying to, to keep total control of our destinies, to avoid our crosses, we never quite succeed. At no time do we control our lives completely. And at death, we lose all control. However, most people discover this along the way, through life's changes and chances they take, that they are not the masters of their fates. Making this discovery can be discouraging, even crushing. But I have good news. There is one, however, who can save our lives, save our lives for us despite death. Remember the mission of Christ? He will rise after three days. And he invites us to surrender control of our lives to him here and now. This is how we can preserve our life we turn it over to him, the one who gave us life to begin with. This act of self-surrender to God is what the scriptures call faith. And this surrendering in faith of our control does not mean that we are out of control. What springs from our faith is works. This faith looks like something. From our faith that gives control, over to God springs up the gift of charity within us. The focus of our love is no longer selfish control, but the giving of ourselves in love to others in commitment and sacrifice. It also can look like justice that does not seek vengeance, but wills that the other persons receive what is due to them because we believe that each has an inherent dignity and made in the image of God. Through faith, we are not out of control. We are well grounded. Our lives are ordered toward Christ and towards the purpose of the works, the mission of Jesus Christ, who has come so all may be forgiven and have eternal life. And in this, we experience flourishing and transformation. And this will all be perfected in the life to come. It is through the lens of faith and ordering of our lives that through trials and crosses, we can see the sun rising on the horizon. In the cornfield, so to speak, of our lives, located directly in our vision, there is sowing and reaping. And sometimes it rains and sometimes it does not. Look to the horizon at the new day dawning 
and give over some control to the one who holds it all in his hands. <laughs> 